Hey, you can give it up for Jesus while you're standing. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Yeah, what a great time in worship. Thank you so much. What an honor to be here. And um, I'm the, what does that make me, the 20th Moen chair? If you were second in 2004, I'm just doing some math here. That means I'll be your president in 15 years is what that means. <laughs> I'm not nearly as handsome as that guy, but I am as tall. So, hey, well, welcome to uh, chapel again. My name is Mike Burnett, and I am honored to serve you. I told you uh, if I got to be in class with you, it's just a privilege to be with you. And I'll be back in three weeks. And uh, just that time, I'm going to try to do more like lobby time and just sit around and just talk whatever you want. I was a college and young adult pastor before I was lead pastor of our church. And I just I love young adults and college students. I thank God for you. You are the future of our church movement. I mean, you are the future. So I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. My wife, Stephanie, and our four daughters send greetings. My oldest, Lucy, I'm hoping will be with me next time to do a site visit as well. She's a sophomore in high school now. But I've just, I've really loved being here and the opportunity has been so amazing. Dr. Hagen, Mrs. Hagen, thank you so much for having me. It's truly, truly my honor. And to all the team here, thank you so much. Uh, Since you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Notice I said, since you brought your Bibles. Since you brought your Bible. If you brought a fake Bible, you can scroll there. Uh, Exodus chapter 3. That'd be helpful. I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. I've been asked a lot what happened to my foot. And so being 41, you get injured on things that you could do uh, very easily when you were in your 20s and 30s. So the story goes, it was adult swim at the community pool. And uh, they kicked all the kids out of the pool. And my wife and I decided to go jumping on the diving board. And my fifth jump in, I tore the plantar fascia tendon in my foot on a diving board. But I made the dive and that was awesome. So (laughs) yeah, thank God for that. I've uh, titled the message today, just asking the question of what's in your heart and challenging where you're at in this call to ministry. And when I'm talking about ministry, I'm not talking about church world. I'm talking about the ministry of obeying God and doing whatever God's called you to do. How many of you know if you're a biologist, a chemistry major, if you're a ministry major, it doesn't matter if you're running a pharmacy or a hospital or a church, because we belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to us. So what's in your heart when it comes to ministry? What's in your heart when it comes to God's vocational calling on your life? I've been a Christian, I had been a Christian for about three and a half years working on a classical vocal music degree when I got called into ministry. And uh, I I was attending a church in Knoxville. I went to the University of Tennessee where Jesus went to school because he's a volunteer. He gave his life for the world voluntarily. Don't argue with me. It's in the Bible. And I was attending a church, serving as a volunteer at my church, dating my fiance. And my pastor offered me a part-time role as music guy. I was like, yeah, you're going to pay me to come to church. I'm down with that. Six months later, he approaches me. Now, I have no ministry background in my family. My great-grandfather was a Methodist pastor. uh, But other than that, I have no ministry background. I grew up in a broken family. Parents divorced when I was one years old. We were out of church for almost all of my life. I got saved on my uh, my senior year of high school on Halloween, the Lord's Day. Now Now I'm in ministry on staff at a church. And about six months after he hires me as choir director, he says, hey, when you graduate, I'd like you to consider being my youth pastor. So I'm going to go be an opera singer. I'm going to uh, put, I'm putting my graduate package together for, uh, you know, Cincinnati Conservatory, Indiana University, North Texas. I was looking at Juilliard, perhaps. And he said, well, you should pray about it because I believe there's a call of God on your life for ministry. Let me just pause and just say this. Uh, Leaders, when you ever have the chance to call out things in people, you need to see it and you need to say it. Man, I'm just saying, just do that. Take the moment 
to see it in, because I was going to be an opera singer, and now I get to do this, you know? And it's because my pastor saw that in me. My plans were different. I was totally caught off guard, not expecting to be in music, in ministry. I was going to go be an opera singer. My wife was a classical pianist. She has her master's in piano. And we were just, we had different plans. But my pastor said, I see the call of God on your life. And then he said to me one time when I was youth pastoring, he said, I think you'll pastor one of the greatest churches in our movement one day. I was like, how am I going to do that as an opera singer and youth pastor? I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't believe it. Listen, I didn't see what he saw in me. I hadn't planned on what God had planned for me. I hadn't prepared for that. I could sing in five languages, but I didn't know what the word exegete means. I remember going to seminary. I was the guy in the front row asking every class, like, what in the world did you just say? It's all Greek to me, not just the Greek class. Like, I didn't know none of it. I didn't grow up in a ministry family. I didn't go to Bible college. I had me and Jesus alone in a dorm a lot, and now I'm in ministry. Then I go to school and I just had different plans and preparation. And I never believed when he said, you'll be a pastor of a great church one day. I was like, you are out of your mind. I didn't believe it. I didn't see it. I hadn't planned it. I hadn't prepared for it. I wasn't trained for it. I didn't know enough Bible. I was certain he was not discerning correctly. Pastor, you've been fasting too many days. So I had so many reasons not to believe what God was doing in my life. I had excuses. I had thoughts of my own inadequacies, ill-prepared, underqualified. Then the big secret... I'm a sinner. I know none of you guys know how to identify with that life. But I got like secret stuff, you know, resentment, anger, bitterness, lust. He didn't know about that stuff. I had all these reasons to say why what he was thinking of me and what God put in his heart was not true. How many of you thankful God chooses and empowers even sinners with his spirit and sets them free and he's not waiting on us Listen, God's not waiting on us to get ourselves holy enough to use us. Can I hear an amen? Otherwise, I'm afraid he'd be waiting forever. 20 years later, I get to pastor LifePoint Church, and I'm a local church pastor, and, and I give a lot of the credit to the assignment of my life to my pastor calling that out of me. But on the way, I had so many excuses and reasons in my heart why God could never do this with me. By the way, I'm still incredibly humbled that I get to do this. I can't believe it. I mean, I still feel like the 30-year-old kid that took over a dead church. We had 52 people when I went there. Two of them voted no. God bless them. We're two and a half million in debt. All of you guys in suits know the pressure of that. We're two and a half million in debt with 52 people. 15 grand behind my first month. I'm like, I got a church. Then I saw the bills. I was like, I'm going to die. I called the bank and I asked them, what does it do to my credit to foreclose on this church's building? How about you? What has God designed and destined for you? What has God birthed in your heart? Or what have, what have mentor women and mentor men seen in you and dreamt over you and spoken over your life that you just can't shake? What keeps you up in the middle of the night going, man, if I could have it my way, if all things work together and I could just do it this way, what would you do for God? And what if God were to speak something about to you or about you out of your comfort zone? Maybe out of the blue. And what if God were to call you to do something you weren't planning for, you weren't even studying for, that you've stopped doing for some reason? What, what if God had something different for you? How would you respond? Well, some of us have used this expression over the years. I would need a burning bush experience to do something like that for God. And we get that statement from this story in the life of Moses. And I want you to read this with me in Exodus chapter 3. What would you say if God called you to do something so contrary? You say, I need a burning, I need God to show up. I need a handwritten letter from heaven. 
Well, I don't know that you're going to ever get that. I think what God does in you, he burns it in your soul now, not in bushes. Come on, somebody. But this phrase comes from Exodus 3, where Moses, the 80-year-old shepherd who hadn't planned or prepared to be a deliverer, had never studied to be a prophet, was completely unqualified. At 40 years old, he flees Egypt because he killed one of the Egyptians who was hurting one of the Israelites. 40 years later, he's on the backside of a field chasing a sheep, and he's an 80-year-old shepherd serving his father-in-law with a wife and kids. And all of a sudden, he's chasing the sheep, and the Lord shows up with a burning bush experience. I want to read this story together. In Exodus 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it wasn't consumed. And Moses, being a typical dude, said, I will go look at that. <laughs> I will turn aside and see this great sight. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses. Or it was like, hey, Mo, you know, who knows? We weren't there. And Moses said, here I am. Then the Lord said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And Moses said, or God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. This backstory is important before we get into the next part. Moses was a Hebrew by DNA, but he grew up in Egypt. You guys know the story. You've watched the, king, the Prince of Egypt, or you've read your Bible, either one. He grew up in Egypt. He fled because he'd murdered one of Pharaoh's soldiers and was most likely not a practicing Israelite. His father-in-law Jethro was a priest, but we don't know what religion he was a priest of. Some sources say that he was a priest of a pantheistic religion and served many gods. Some suggest he may have been a convert to Jehovah, but probably not. Ultimately, it's unclear. So we're 40 years after Moses fled from Egypt. He's 80 years old, son-in-law of a priest of another religion. He's shepherding over sheep. He's not a pastor, not a prophet, doesn't work in the temple. He's married with kids, content in his desert life, physically removed from Egypt. He's emotionally detached. He's a believer in something, but we don't know what. And so far, we're not sure what it is. And on the surface, he would seem to be the most unqualified person to work for the God of heaven. He has not the right pedigree, the right training, the right experience. He does, he's, a, he's a fugitive. But the motivation for God to use Moses was not about Moses. The motivation for God to use Moses was about the Israelites. So you got to understand the heart of God. First part of this message, you know, we got to understand the heart of God. What's in your heart? Well, let's start with what's in the heart of God. Keeps going in verse seven. The Lord said, I'm going to read it to you. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know, God says, I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And I have come down to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. I have come to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Southernites, Jebusites. Southernites was not, it was an add-on. Now, if you're listening to that as Moses, you're like, sweet, get to work, God. 
You see it, you hear it, you've listened, you're coming down, awesome. What do you need me for? The heart of God is that he sees the affliction. He hears the cry. He knows the sufferings. He's coming down to deliver. Verse 9, and now behold, listen to what God says. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. My people, come. I will send you. Oh, now the story's changed. Moses is probably like, this is great. I'm glad you finally paid attention to your people. But then God says, so now I'm sending you. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know it. I'm listening. I'm coming down to send you. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this whole scene between Moses and God, like I said, is way less to do with Moses and way more to do with God's heart for people. Look again at the language. God shows his heart of love and compassion and mercy when he says, I've seen, I've heard, I've known. And can I just tell you, God's heart has never changed. He still sees the affliction. He still hears the cries of people that are lost in their sin and their sickness and their bondage in the world that we live in. God still cares about the pain and the suffering and the affliction and the cries of the people in our city. Come on, somebody. The captivity of bondage to sin and addiction and, and sexism and racism and classism and suffering and oppression those who are abused and afflicted, God still has a heart for those who are far from him and caught up in bondage. And God would call Moses because God loves people. God didn't call Moses because he loved Moses. God calls Moses because he loves people. And God didn't call Moses because he was qualified. God called Moses because he loves people. God is still motivated by the realities of people far from God. By the way, Moses wasn't in Bible college. Moses wasn't training for this. Moses absolutely was the ultimate unqualified person to be the, pe the person to lead God's people out of captivity. God never checked him on his qualifications. God just told him about his own love for people. It's so interesting. Like God doesn't start with, Moses, I've been watching you. I've noticed about you. You have a great way of waving a stick over the rivers. Like he never said any of that. He just comes to Moses who was probably trying to just escape for the rest of his life. And he tells Moses the first thing, hey Moses, I'm the God of your real father, not your father-in-law. I'm the God of your real fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of your people and I love my people. Can I tell you something? God still has a heart for this world. I'm just a believer as destitute and dark and depraved as our culture seems to be. God goes, I hear it. Man, I see it. I love those people. I long for those people. These are active verbs. I see, I hear, I know, I'm coming. He's not a silent God or an observant deity. We're not deists. We don't believe that he's just watching from afar with his arms crossed going, I hope they get it all figured out. God gets to work, and then he calls a man named Moses. Now watch. He said, I'm coming to deliver them. I'm coming to bring them up, and he's going to do it through you. A lot of us in this last year have said, God, I wish you'd show up. And I feel like God would respond with, I wish you'd show up. We go, I wish God would heal our nation. I wish you'd bring healing to our nation. I've already come. I mean, I feel like God would, like, let him off the hook. He already came, and he completed his assignment. And he empowered the church 
to be the hope of the world. And we've been mad at God and bitter at God and begging God and pleading God, oh, Lord, please come, 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 come. And God's going, I already came. It's your turn. Lord, we hate the oppression and the victimization of this culture. I do too. That's why I came, I left, and I sent my Holy Spirit to empower and equip you and to enable you to be the people to go. But man, sometimes we feel like Moses, the unqualified, disconnected stepson of Egypt, the guy who would seem the greatest misfit to serve God. But let me remind you, God's call on Moses was more about God's heart for people than it was about the qualifications of Moses. We get to serve the Lord. We're not entitled to serve God because we have a degree. Are you kidding me? We get to serve. I can't believe the God who rescued me through ministry now uses me in ministry. I can't even believe the very salvation that I needed. He now lets me bring to others. Are you kidding me? We get to do this. But yet we go, well, that's not... I'm not studying for that. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a chemist. I'm going to be a stay-at-home parent. We got to hear then the heart of Moses. I mean, how many of you would say, if God showed up in a burning bush, I'd do whatever he said? Please, for the love of God, raise your hand. Would you do that? I mean, (laughs) if God walked into your dorm room today and said, hey, Sally, I want you, you'd go, yes, Lord, right? No, you wouldn't. Because Moses was the first one to encounter God this way. And watch what you think Moses go. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, Lord. Yes, I'm all in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then here's what he says. "Uh, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh. Oh, I mean, who am I to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm a villain. I'm a murderer. Pharaoh doesn't even love me anymore. I've been gone for 40 years. God says, I'll be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you when you've brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. What, what, what's Moses say first? This is the heart of Moses, right? I share the heart of God for the people. The heart of Moses is I'm not worthy. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God responds with his excuse of I'm going to be with you. Can I remind you that you're never alone when you're serving the Lord? It may feel really lonely at times in ministry. I'm just telling you, it's going to feel really lonely at times in ministry. And Christians will abandon you. Lost people will criticize you. Christians will criticize you even more. It'll be really lonely at times, but you got to remember this promise. I'm with you. I'm going with you. I'm staying with you. Moses gives this excuse. Uh, I'm nobody in God's kingdom. I don't have any history. I'm not trained up for this. I, I've never done this before. I've been a villain. I'm, I'm a... I'm, 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 I'm a uh, I'm a scoundrel to the Egyptians. I'm nobody. I'm a murderer. But God's response is, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Then Moses gives a second excuse in verse 13. Look at this. He goes, well, okay, fine. If I come to the people of Israel, this is arguing with God. This is so stupid, right? If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. I love Moses' little attitude. I feel like he's talking to God in air quotes, you know. If I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, well, what's his name? That's a fair question. Moses goes, what am I going to say to him? In other words, he's going, I don't know God well enough. I don't even know how to represent you well enough. Listen, when my pastor hired me to be a youth pastor, I hadn't even read the whole Bible. I didn't tell him in the interview. I'm just telling you, I didn't tell him. that. I was like, oh, man, what an honor. I can't believe that you would see this great. I told my wife, I was like, babe, I haven't even read the whole Old Testament yet. I get stuck in Numbers and Isaiah every time. She's like, God's going to use you, honey. I'm so proud of you. You know, like, I don't know God well enough. I'm a trained opera singer. I'm not a preacher. You know what my sermons were when I started? Whatever I was learning in the Bible. Seems a little primitive, doesn't it? 
I didn't know God well enough. Are you kidding me? I'd never seen miracles in my I never laid hands on sick and then fall over and all this kind of, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not, not a miracle guy. I don't know God well enough. And God says, you tell them, I am who I am. And you tell them that the great I am, the God of eternity has sent me to you. Some of you got to remember, I don't care what your career is or your profession, you represent the eternal God of heaven. And man, you've got power forever with you. But I don't know God well enough. You don't need to know him. He knows you. And he's not after, he doesn't, <laughs> he just needs to use you because he cares for them. Don't forget, this isn't about Moses. It's about them. Third excuse, he says, no one will believe me. He continues arguing with God. I mean, I love this. God goes, shut up, I'll be with you. Well, who do I say? Shut up. I am who I am. That's what you say. Then verse 15, or, or verse, uh, yeah. No, you got to jump down to verse four, chapter 4 now. Then the third excuse, Moses says, but behold. How do you talk to God like that? Behold, Lord. <laughs> I think we should bring the word behold back, by the way. Come into class. Behold. Anyway, but behold. Here's what he says, and this is what all of us say. Listen to this. We say, no one will believe me. They're not, I, I'm, just, I'm not a guy that has qualifications. I, they're not going to listen to me. Moses says, behold, I, they're, they're not going to believe or listen to my voice. For they will say, air quoting again to God, the Lord did not appear to you. I mean, how do you tell your friends about a burning bush? You ain't going to believe what happened to me today. Moses has been drinking. <laughs> Moses has been on that Colorado weed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not believing it. They're not going to believe that you talk to me in a bush. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe that the Lord appeared to me. And the Lord says, okay, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. Not a church staff, but a stick. God says, throw it on the ground. So he throws it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. You know Moses ran from it because he's normal. <laughs> it's not Steve Irwin over here like, crikey. Yeah. <laughs> nope. He runs because he's smart. And then the Lord says, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. You know, Moses is like, okay, dude, what are we, Pentecostals here grabbing snakes? <laughs> he said, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And he grabs it and becomes a staff. And the Lord says, so that they may believe the Lord's appeared to you. I'll give you another sign. We give excuse. Nobody will believe me. God says, they'll believe me. They don't need to believe you. They'll believe me. I'll do the miracles. You don't have to be a miracle worker. I'll do the miracles. I'll change your life. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the gospel on your mouth. Nobody is coming to believe you. They need to believe the God you serve. He goes on. This is Moses. Verse, excuse number four. He says, well, I'm not qualified, right? Look at, look at me in verse 10. He says, I'm not qualified. Moses said, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or the since you've spoken, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now he starts making up a speech impediment. Like he's just faking it now. He's just, 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 just stutters, God. He just makes it up. He ain't stuttered any other time in his arguments with God. But now all of a sudden he's sick, you know, like, oh man, I hurt my leg, Jesus. I can't go. He says, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. And the Lord said, who has made your mouth? Who makes it? Quit giving God excuses for what you can't do in your able body because he supernaturally will enable you. I can, put ear, I can put hearing in your ears and words in your mouth and vision in your eyes. Is it not I, the Lord who made you? Now go. And he, look at this. He said, I will be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to speak. So every excuse Moses gives 
I'm not qualified. They won't believe me. Who am I? I don't know God well enough. I've got problems, God. The Lord answers. Finally, Moses gets really honest. In verse 13, he says, could you just send somebody else? Verse 13. Oh, my Lord. Finally, he's recognizing he's Lord. God, would you just send somebody else? Can I tell you something, church? That's the epidemic reality of Christians today. God, just use somebody else. God, just send anybody else but me. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He didn't make God mad with all these dumb excuses. But when he abdicated the call, hey, look at me. Don't, you know they're coming. Don't look at them. You've seen skinny pants before. <laughs> look, look, look here. Hey. You may be wrestling with excuses of qualification. You may be wrestling with excuses of ability. But when you tell God no, that'll anger him. You know why? Because it disregards the fact that God knows better than you what he's assigned you to do. When you go, God, send somebody else, it angers the Lord. Because the Lord knows what he's doing. He's motivated by his love for them, and he's actually calculated in his calling of you. God knows what he's doing. And for you to say, Lord, send somebody else, will frustrate and anger and grieve the Lord. So it's the original sin of the Garden of Eden. The ultimate way we have dissonance with God, we, we try to rule this thing. So let me just ask you in closing, what's in your heart? We know the heart of God. We've read about the heart of Moses. It's excuse, excuse, excuse. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I don't know God enough. Let me tell you something. All of those things were true of me when God called me to ministry, when God called me to the local church. But before I was doing ministry in the local church, I was doing ministry in my dorm rooms, and I was doing ministry on my college campus. I was leading people to Jesus as an as a opera singer, and I didn't know the Bible. I was slow of speech. I was all of those things. But it's when you get to that place of saying, no, God, let somebody else do it. What's in your heart? In the story of Moses, I, I, I want to identify with Moses, the deliverer, and Moses, the miracle man and the snake charmer and the river splitter. But I tend to be Moses, the loner. The leave me to myself kind of Moses, the don't bother me, God, Moses, and I won't bother you. I'll just tend to my sheep, my regrets. I'll tend to my family, and I'm 80 now, so I'm on my way out. I don't have anything left to give. I'm heading into retirement. I tend to want to be Moses, the excuse maker, the blame shifter, the responsibility giver, the isolator. And I don't know how you're doing with this sermon, but I want to ask you, what's in your heart? Because God looks at Minneapolis and the Twin Cities, and he goes, I hear they're crying. I see their brokenness. I long to come down. And here's what God's not going to do. Walk the streets of Minneapolis. He's going to fill you so that you can walk the streets of Minneapolis. Would you be like Moses and give God excuse? Let me just listen for you one more time. I'm not worthy. I don't know God enough. No one will believe me. I'm not qualified. Let me add some for you. That's not in my major. Opera singer. I didn't grow up in a ministry family. I don't know the word exegesis. 
The only Jesus I knew was King Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, what excuse will you give the Lord? And here's what I know. All of us do it. President Hagen's done it. Board members have done it. Pastor Jeff's done it. Pastor Mike's done it. You've done it. We all do it. But here, here's what God didn't say. He, he didn't come to Moses and say, hey, let's, let's talk through this and make sure you're comfortable. God says, I love people and I need you. In the beginning of Isaiah, God asked the prophet Isaiah, who can I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah, I feel like he's just like my, my third daughter, Hallie. She's the raise your hand as soon as you start the question. Who would like to? And Isaiah goes, here, my Lord, right here. Me, 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 send me, 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 me. How are you doing with that? Have you told the Lord your excuses? Have you, have you said, you know what, let, why don't you just use the preaching majors for that? As you're walking through campus and you're seeing people in town or you're at the Mall of America, you're just doing life online. Maybe you've said, well, this is not the place for that kind of talk. If you belong to Jesus, listen to me, the Great Commission belongs to you. What excuses have you given the Lord? And will you just stop? We should be all in in whatever God asks from us. There's a couple times a year, and this is what I want to ask if you would, everybody stand around the room. There's a couple times a year where I wrestle through these things, whether it's serving in a new capacity or leading in a new space or starting another campus or doing something or talking to a person at Starbucks about the Lord. I get to this place where I'm like, you know, they don't want to hear that. Or maybe I'm just overshooting my leadership here. Or who am I to do those kinds of things? And I come back to a place like this where I go, you know what, God? I told you when I was 17 years old, you can have all of my life, my professional life, my private life, my academic life. And there's just been moments where I've just had to get down before the Lord and literally just offer again, God, this life is not my own. These hands aren't mine. My, my wallet's not mine. My calendar's not mine. God, you've, you've raised me up. You gave me a full scholarship and, and a future in another category to be an opera singer. And God, you said, I want this for you. So, okay, God, you can have that. You can have my call, what I thought was my career. Lord, gives me this church that's breaking apart that nobody wanted. They were saying, let's close it down and sell it to another church. And God says, this is where I want you to go. Okay, God, you can have all of it. There are times in my life today where I have to just get before the Lord and go, God, I need to remind myself I'll make no excuse to follow you, to do what you've called me to do, to give every part of myself to you. So I want to invite you to do that today. Our, our mission as a church is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That means, me, man, that we go every day hard to the things of God. And we say, Lord, whatever you want for me this day, I'm yours. Whatever my major is, my career, pat plan, it doesn't matter. I'm on assignment from God. The great commission is mine because I belong to Jesus. So I want to invite you wherever you're on this room to respond to this message practically and physically. Find a space to make your space of surrender to God. We're, if you got to go, you can leave. But if you need to respond, you're welcome to stay. Can I ask everyone in this room to respond to this message? Listen, I believe the Lord is asking this room, will you go for me? I've assigned you. I've called you. I've gifted you. Don't worry about your excuses. Don't you dare tell me no. And I want to ask if you'll just lay it all before the Lord all over again. Come on. Can we do that? Let's step out wherever you're at.
Let's move into a place of just giving your whole self back to God. We don't live by Pareto principle. We live by the kingdom principle. We're fully devoted, fully surrendered in our life to God. Lord, whatever you want from me to see lost people come to Jesus, to see people far from God come near to the family of God. Lord, I am all in. You can have it all, all of my life, full time, every part of me. God, I can't believe you are choosing me to do whatever you've asked me to do. And I just want to know before God tells you your assignment, will you give yourself to his assignment today? Come on, we're just going to have some music playing. We're going to have some time of response, time of interaction with God. What's in your heart? God may have not spoken through a burning bush, but he spoke through a Southern pastor. Would you give your all to Jesus? Surrender completely. Thank you, Lord. Come on, come on, let's pray. Give these prayers a confession. Tell the Lord, God, I'm all yours. Whatever you want, I'll go where, when, and how. No expense. I'm all yours to the glory of God. Come on, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.